0: ago, we talked about unusual Billboard chart records. We talked about songs with long-ass names, but somehow we forgot to mention the longest album titles. The longest title of a number one album belongs to Cheshire, England's lovable lads, The 1975, with their 2016 hit, I Like It When You Sleep, For You Are So Beautiful Yet So Unaware of It. But the longest charting album title ever? Nothing else even comes close. It's Fiona Apple's 1999, When the Pawn. The full title is, of course, an eight-line poem penned by Apple. Incidentally, there's a 2008 album by Wambo with a much longer title, but it didn't chart. Thank God. <laughs> Fiona Apple is a volcano of creativity, a master of the blue note, an acolyte and destroyer of the pop song, and a living legend whose most critically acclaimed album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, came 24 years into her remarkable career. But this show is about the 90s, so today on Hidden Jukebox, let's fall into a perfect drum and piano groove and talk about When the Pawns' Lead Single, Fast As You Can. And we're not going to do it just the two of us today, are we, Jake?
1: No, uh, we have got bass luminary Keith Lowe with us today. Uh, Keith was the touring musician for Fiona Apple on the title tours and on this tour. Any others?
2: Nope, those were the two I did.
0: Wait, I thought you were the drummer. Jake said you were a drummer.
2: I definitely did not say that. that.
0: <laughs> okay, then ignore the question that, that I wrote about drums.
2: <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> we'll talk about good, bass instead.
1: Good start.
2: Um, <laughs> Wait, who are you guys?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Keith Lowe, what can I say? Uh, you're, you're a musical chameleon. Um, in 2001... I started seeing Crack Sabbath at the Rainbow during your weekly residency, which I'm not even sure how long that lasted. Um, it was like on Wednesday or Thursday nights. And so I kind of knew you as like, okay, he's he's a rock guy with some jazz tendencies, because Crack Sabbath
2: is a little bit hard to define.
0: So wait, it was Crack Sabbath a Sabbath cover band?
2: Sometimes. Okay. Mm, yeah, no, not really. I mean, we did maybe one Sabbath tune. It, it was okay. fascinating,
1: because... You'd hear like a rock song, and then you'd do like Mingus, and then uh, it would be total out jazz, and then it would come back to something really slow and slinky. You okay. just didn't know what what to expect from night to night. Um, then I saw you play with Vicky Martinez for a while, who was a pop singer from Seattle. Um, then I found out you were a frequent collaborator with Wayne Horovitz and Bill Frizzell. Um, I know. Th- so I know maybe those guys. a jazz guy, Not personally. Uh, then at some point during all that, somebody mentioned that you had toured with Fiona Apple and Tori Amos for a little while. Is no, that true?
2: I didn't tour with Tori, but Fiona. Okay.
1: And, and nowadays, uh, I know that you uh, play with the Teatro Zanzani band regularly. Um, you and I have had a conversation that you are a deadhead and have a guild starfire bass that's modeled after Phil Leshes, if I'm correct.
2: You are correct. Um, Very
1: nice. This this all basically equates to uh, a level of professionalism mixed with modesty that I rarely see in music, and we really appreciate you having being on the show today.
0: Oh, bless you. Well, thanks for asking me. Yeah, it's a level of professionalism and modesty that Jake could never even aspire not to. Not even
1: close. <laughs> I just walk around telling people that I'm the greatest bass player in Seattle, <laughs> which, let's face it, is not true at all.
0: <laughs> nope. But, pretty but as good. long as you believe it, that's yeah, nice. ex- exactly. Uh, All right, let's talk about this song because this song is great, like amazing. I, yeah, I uh, don't think I had listened to this album for quite a while uh, when you suggested this song, and so I've listened to the whole album a few times. But this song is the standout for me, and like, it's mostly because of that amazing groove. But uh, but there's so much to it.
1: So let's talk about that groove first. Yeah, um, John Bryan says that uh, Matt Chamberlain was really what he pictured when he uh, first heard the song and and Matt Chamberlain's sound being behind this. So really, it sounds almost programmed, but it really is Matt's drums coming through.
0: Yeah, Matt Chamberlain, not to be confused with Jimmy Chamberlain of Smashing Pumpkins or
2: probably
1: any other Chamberlain. And you're a longtime acquaintance friend of Matt Chamberlain's, correct?
2: Yeah, when he moved um, to Seattle from texas i believe um he was in the Edie brickell and the new bohemians sure with
1: brad hauser
2: yeah and brad moved up here in the early 90s i think and then uh matt followed and i met him and we did you know playing whenever we could is that
1: how you got the fiona apple gig
2: yeah well certainly knowing matt was good um if I may, there's a slightly longer story, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a roommate of mine, another guy from Texas, uh, Dave Palmer, a really great keyboard player, um, another North Texas State guy. Um, he was in Seattle, and we became friends. And he was a roommate of mine. So he he eventually moved down to San Francisco, and I th- <clears throat> one day or. Yeah, one day I thought, you know what? I've never taken a vacation by myself. What am I going to do? Uh, I know I'll go visit Dave Palmer in San Francisco because I've never been to San Francisco. Okay. So I went down there just to explore and because uh, he was busy uh, working on tunes for some singer named Fiona Apple who was brand new. So he couldn't like show me the city or anything. Um and then a little bit later um when I was back in town um I got I got a call from was it Dave? I'm not sure. <laughs> I forget who it was. But so they were looking for a, a bass player for that singer Fiona Apple and uh to do some like showcase performances in Europe. And Dave apparently was the one that was like, you know what? Well, actually, they had a bass player and he wasn't working out. I Mm -hmm. don't know who it was, but um, they weren't happy with him. So Dave Palmer was like, get Keith Lowe. He can do it. And then, you know, Fiona's manager was like, huh? Who's that guy? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Matt was like, yeah, get Keith. So it was, you know, Matt's word because. Her uh, manager really trusted Matt because he played all over that first record and and second record.
1: And that must have been, what, 96, 97 around then? Yeah,
2: it was 96.
1: I hate to say that that's over 25 years ago. That's when I moved Mm. to Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. That's awesome. Um, And and how many years did you tour with her?
2: Um, Well, I toured the first two records. So the first tour, I think, was about two years. It was a long time. Yeah. Oof. yeah it was great it was great um you know that album really hit big so sold. they decided well make hey you all the sunshines <laughs> yep
1: sold about three million copies title did um this song is as we set off of when the pawn um it i remember hearing this the first time i was already a fan of fiona apple and this was the Lead single off the second album, and I just heard that downbeat and went, Holy shit, this is really cool! It was a stark departure from what she had done on the first album. And there's a lot going on in this song, yeah. It, it's kind of got this breakbeat thing going on that we were talking about, right. um, that Matt Chamberlain does, and it's got this 3/4 over 4/4 kind of feel yes through through a lot of it especially the choruses yeah so it's this triplet format that's going on over what is basically counted as a 4/4 yeah. beat then the chord changes are just fascinating i i did this at home because i wanted to figure out what the hell okay. was going on so it's got kind of What's this, simple, this yeah. simple two chord pattern that's like an E to F yeah. uh, minor second pattern. And then it does this. It's not even a pre-chorus. It's a turnaround into the chorus where it does this ascending thing to G to B and then a descending line from E that leads, leads into a chorus, which is... Her playing simple chord changes, but the bass line is doing a chromatic uh, ascending, descending thing from C to E flat. And it just works really well. And I listen to it and I go, I feel like only pianist composes like this.
0: Yes, that's so true. Like this is like, I mean, the, the piano on the song is, is amazing. Um, be, like, you know, it's it's. There there isn't like a ton of being played, but it like, you know, both rhythmically and in terms of chord structure, it's like doing incredible work.
1: So so you asked how would you count the chorus of this song?
0: Right. You could you can count it in 3 or 4 and it makes sense either way, I feel like.
1: Right. Uh you you re-listen to this.
2: <laughs> yeah. Th- thought, thoughts Keith? Well, uh gosh, I never really thought about it like that. I I'd, I'd have to hear it. Yeah. Um
1: like it's 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 something that you just learn and play it. Like it sounds natural to me, but really like this follow and then followed by the bridge, which is all in six eight.
0: Right. So so yeah, so the what what I love about it is that that the uh the verse is very clearly in four, the bridge is very clearly in three or six, um, and the chorus could go either way and like glues them together in a very satisfying way.
1: And her vocals over the top of the chorus, it is kind of doing this triplet thing as well that, that follows along with it. It's, it's really, really genius songwriting. uh, And it was not similar to anything else that was coming out at the time. uh, That was really hitting as Popular at the time, um, you know there was there was a lot of bands like Smash Mouth coming out at that time. Yeah,
0: the biggest the biggest album of this year was uh, Backstreet Boys Millennium.
1: Yes, and and of course uh, Santana, Rob Thomas, of Smooth. course. So you know, I I was not a just big fan about it. <laughs> <There> was, <God. laughs> Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> uh, I was just not a fan of a lot of the stuff coming out at this time, and this was so different and. I love that something like this was able to become popular, and and that it was was something that people would take time to listen to. So uh, I found this quote you wrote down a Pitchfork one. Yeah. I found this Entertainment Weekly quote. They put in their review the seemingly nonstop blur of young acts swamping the charts and MTV's Total Request Live does make one occasionally yearn for performers with how to put it delicately longevity and substance. Yeah. yeah, well, here here we are. Uh, Fiona Apple puts out one of the best albums of 2020. Yeah, uh, so the longevity's there, the substance is there. She she's still writing great music and still doing this after all this all these years, and is only in her mid 40s because she was what s- 16, sixteen, seventeen. That sounds right. Yeah,
2: yeah. When I started working with her, definitely really young.
1: Um.
2: So so, what was it
0: like coming coming in on that? Um. Like you know. In in general, kind of like joining like a uh, you know an up, up and coming act like that, like you know what what was it like you know musically like getting up to speed on the songs, some of which are pretty complex, and and what was it like like on an interpersonal level?
2: Uh, wow, big questions. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, well, gosh, you know, I'm really thankful that I had some friends there. That's, yeah. That's one thing. Um, so that that really helped. You know, ground me. Um, And Fiona was really nice. And um, yeah, everybody was great. John Bryan was in the band Mm -hmm. at that time. Uh, Yeah, everybody was was super supportive. Was he playing keys? He was... God, he was playing so much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He played guitar, Chamberlain, and... um, Vibraphones yes, we that should. I can remember. Let,
1: let's talk about the Chamberlain for a minute.
0: So Ch- Chamberlain was like a like an earlier version of the Mellotron, like so it's a, it's like a keyboard driving like tape loops.
1: Right. So it's that kind of organy sound on on this song and. John Bryan apparently really liked this instrument.
2: Man, so John Bryan loved them. And then uh, we also had this uh, brilliant keyboardist and arranger, Patrick Warren. Okay. Um, And he had two Chamberlains, and John, (laughs) John had one. So, yeah, we had three Chamberlains on stage, and they're really rare. Those guys had made friends with the inventor's son I okay think. and so they were i hope i'm remembering this correctly but they were kind of um pillaging <laughs> all the spare parts they could you know pillaging i mean by like getting in touch with them and like right. we would love to buy up all this stuff. well they
1: stopped making them in 1981 so this was <laughs> right at, at least 15 years after the last one had even been put together
2: yeah and patrick man patrick did this really cool thing Where he cut a hole in the top of his, and there's that song, Shadow Boxer.
1: Mm -hmm. Great song. Off
2: the first album. And there's a bit on there, I hope it's this song, where it sounds like pedal steel.
1: Yes, that sounds right.
2: Right? Okay. And there's bending notes in there, like a pedal steel will do. And he achieved that effect by reaching in that hole... (laughs) <laughs> right above the motor wheel and like slowing down the wheel. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, those guys really utilized those instruments to their fullest. And it was a huge part of her sound. For so sure.
1: so there were three keyboardists on stage at any given time during yeah. during the shows.
2: Yes. Yeah,
1: I I only saw Fiona Apple once live, and it was of all things opening up for Coldplay in probably about two thousand five, two thousand six. All right, on the X and Y tour, and I clearly remember there being at least three keyboardists on stage, and and it it, like I hear something like that, and I just picture everything getting muddied, but but it wasn't at all. It's like everybody knows their part within within the songs, and it works well i guess it's it's incredible to watch
2: yeah when you got great players and great parts was was
1: she arranging a lot of that or was john Bryan taking Um, a lot of those parts
2: you know i think it was pretty much john um fiona obviously uh wrote amazing tunes and and if i may she kind of uh she came up with a lot of that stuff um by learning piano by having a, a fake book Mm-hmm. Or I guess they're called the real book, too. Sure. Uh, so jazz chord changes. And she learned all those really beautiful um, chord changes from working with that. So, you know, she would come up with these gorgeous tunes. And then, um, you know, Matt and John would really kind of shape them. Um, yeah, so it was a very much a collective effort.
0: Yeah, this totally fits with there's this quote that I wrote down from Pitchfork um from from John Bryan says uh, Brian recalled her beginning their collaboration by playing an almost fully realized when the pawn on the piano, then telling him plainly, I write pretty well, I'm a good singer, and I can play my songs well enough on piano. You're good at everything else, so I think that's how we should proceed. If, and If we're ever off bass, I'll let
1: you
2: down. Know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sounds
1: good. So so there were it sounds like there was a there was drums bass Fiona on keys and sometimes just singing. Mm-hmm. John Bryan playing guitar, sometimes keys. Um, sometimes vibes. S- sometimes vibes. A lot vibes. of vibes. Like, on those. like, like actual vibraphone yeah. mallets.
2: Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah, and oftentimes all at the same time. You know, that guy is amazing.
1: And and Patrick Warren on keys. Was there Were there other members of the band? Like, how big was this band at any given time?
2: Um, well, and then there's, you know, Matt. Chamberlain, of yep. course, and mm-hmm. he had a you know drum sampler thing, um, which was used quite frequently on yeah. some of that stuff. Um, yeah, I th- I believe that was it for our first round of touring, and then you know John had other commitments, um, so he left, and we got two people to replace him <laughs> wow yeah wow. <laughs> well
1: that says all you need to know about yeah. john Brown. <laughs> yeah
2: yeah and one was um michael lockwood um who who goes by lucky um and he was part of the um patrick warren brought him in and who's the i should know this and i'm really sorry the singer from till tuesday um amy man amy man yeah. of course so he had worked with her a lot yeah um, i was
1: like matthew's gonna get this before i do <laughs>
2: yeah so he came from that and then a little side note he also ended up marrying lisa marie presley <laughs> really yeah. yeah okay which lo- is weird because when we were on tour with fiona we well we went to the mansion, you know. We went to Graceland mm-hmm. and uh, got some great pictures of us trying to get in the gate and stuff. But uh, yeah, and then he ends up marrying her. Uh, so that was that was interesting and fun for him.
1: It, it is fascinating uh, looking up some of some of Patrick Warren's credits, some of Michael Lockwood's credits. Like yeah, like the, these guys have storied careers. It's it's. You know, we talk about on this show sometimes that that studio work slash touring musician work seems to be, I wouldn't say a dying art form, especially not the touring musician, but like it's harder and harder to break into the studio musician work. Um, It it fascinates me that you were able to find these different projects to work with, especially working out of Seattle and not New York or L.A. Like like I I wonder if that that's just something that was fortuitous or something that you were pursuing or, uh, or a combination of both.
2: Fuck, I, oops. <laughs> uh, fine. I really had no designs on it, you know? Yeah. Obviously, I wanted to work a lot. Um, but yeah, it never really entered my mind. And a, a funny part about that that kind of relates to your story is, or your question there. Um when Fiona stopped working the first I think it was the first time after the first album tour I was like holy holy crap I got to work like this more this is kind of yeah. this is really rewarding and interesting. So somehow I got some like somebody's name down in LA who like arranged stuff like this. I'm, I don't know What he would have been a manager or something like that. So I reached out to him and it's like, hey, how would I go about like continuing this? I worked with Fiona Apple and you know what do I do? And he's like, well, where do you live? "Mm, Seattle. Hmm. How did you get this gig? (laughs) So so I was like, well, Matt Chamberlain uh, recommended me, and he's like, well. Matt can live anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> so he's like, he's he said, uh, yeah, get a LA cell phone and then smart, just, yeah, <laughs> and then just pretend that yeah. you live down there. Did you do that? No, I didn't. <laughs> no. Well, well um, my friend
1: Brendan was saying to me uh, that he's been impressed with Neil Young's career because Neil Young has always been willing to take chances and even. When at the beginning of his career, he wound up in arguably the biggest band in the world at the time outside sure. of the Beatles, Crosby, Sills and Nash, and was willing to leave that, move back down to theaters, clubs, wherever he could take a gig. And working musicians like you, like Matt Chamberlain, uh, I I find that it's it's not always about what's the next biggest spot that I can get to, where's the next spot on the totem pole upstairs that that I can get right. to it's you know a gig's a gig and we've got to do this for a living and it doesn't mean that you're going to play whatever garbage somebody throws at you but it means that you don't always have to be in front of 20,000 people like do you right. ever do you ever find that um that the more rewarding shows are not always the biggest shows
2: yeah, sure. I mean, anytime I get to play music, is pretty darn rewarding. <laughs> yep. Um But you know, there is a certain, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there's something about having a, you know, well-known gig and prestige. Oh, of yeah. Um, and I've, you know, I've been really blessed to have those. Um but you know I'm also just I'm really happy to just play steadily in no matter what the setting is and um I I was really fortunate to be able to tour the world quite a bit with someone like Fiona and then Bill Frizzell. Mm-hmm. and then uh David Sylvian is a amazing singer who I uh got to work with. I did a couple of tours with him. He was in a group called Japan in the 80s. Okay. And then went on to make gorgeous, gorgeous solo albums. So, you know, that that was really, really rewarding. All those things were just really great. Um, And I'm really happy I did them. Um, But, you know, I'm also happy right now playing in a dinner circus show sure you know i i get to go home every night and the community is amazing so you know yeah i'm i'm not super uh you know climber i'm not a climber um yeah, so, so we should
0: say you play for for Teatras in which is a, a long running like theater theater circus show in Seattle, which I don't I don't know if people like it's a very Seattle thing. Like has it have they played it anywhere else? It's it's
2: they had one in San Francisco for a while. Okay. And uh it's been in uh limbo for quite a bit. Sure. Um and then they recently opened one in Chicago and right before the pandemic, um, they closed their Seattle tent right. to remodel it. And then uh, I was going to go to San Francisco uh, – not San Francisco. I was going to go to Chicago for six months and play in their new show there. But then the you know, pandemic and everything went yeah. to heck. So, uh, yeah, right now uh, they're in Chicago, although that is under a different name now. All right. Um, and you know we're still trying to find a permanent home in Seattle. Yeah. Right now, it's just a temporary thing till the middle of March. A literal tent? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we, there's no tent. Uh, yeah. But it's in this beautiful old wooden building that's really charming, and they've done it up really nice. And, awesome. Yeah, It's really lovely to be a part of that community, creating magic um, You know, five, six days a week. It's yeah. really, really fun.
1: The, the, that was my go-to first date. And anytime I start dating somebody new for quite a few years, it it always knocks people's socks off.
0: Yeah, you hit a lull in the conversation. Look, acrobats. Uh, Yeah, yeah,
1: pretty much. (laughs) It's like if things aren't going well, just look at your food, look up at the band, look at look at the circus. Like, like there's a lot of stimuli going on in the best way possible.
0: Yeah. Okay, before we move on to what we're listening to I, want to, I want to talk a little more about the vocals of this song because I'm a singer, and uh, as uh, Jake Jake knows, I always I always try and sing the song that we're going to do for the episode, and send Jake a clip of that before before we go. I think I did okay on this one. You did
1: pretty good. We we've I've never been mean enough, and, and you've never been brave enough to uh, put one of these recordings on the actual podcast, have we?
0: I don't think <laughs> so. Maybe maybe we should do that. Yeah. The beast in too soon. I.
2: Like, that could be fun.
1: Let's wait until we do another Soundgarden album. Oh, God.
2: Oh, man. (laughs) I listened to that one this morning. Yeah, Yeah, we'll
1: we'll both put up up our Chris Cornell impressions and see who's worse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the thing I realized, like, this song has a really challenging vocal, and it's because it doesn't, you know, it's very jazz-influenced, and it doesn't go anywhere you expect it to. Like, rhythmically and melodically, like, you can listen to it 15 or 20 times and then try and sing it and be like what what's what was the next note gonna be like it takes a lot of practice and just like willingness to improvise
1: yeah this isn't mean to be meant to be a criticism but this is not a good karaoke no song this is all.
0: like a, this is like a karaoke murder scene yeah
1: yeah it's like this is what everybody gets up to go to the bathroom or get another drink and goes i hope this guy finishes this as quickly as yeah, possible criminal just do criminal <laughs> just, yeah yeah that that's that's much easier i i do want to ask the question that that you wrote down <laughs> as as drums but as bass. yes um what was it like? Since you didn't write these bass parts, uh, how much room did they give you to be creative when you uh, when you were touring with her and and playing these bass parts?
2: Well, yeah, Fiona wanted you to fill fill the chair, so to speak. You know, yeah. obviously learn the parts and and embellish as you saw fit, add your own feel to it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. We had some freedom. I mean it's yeah not, not a great answer, but <laughs> but uh, no, that's fine. yeah. Yeah, we were expected to cover the parts and then add a little bit to yeah. this, Sweet. you know. Yeah. Okay. And hey, well, man with players like that in the band, it was a joy. You know? I bet. Yeah. It was yeah. very stimulating, musically stimulating environment for sure.
1: It I am a huge fan of Matt Chamberlain. Like like To be able to have have toured the world with him and be able to call him a friend, like I find that to be extremely fortunate when when you as a bassist get to play with somebody of that caliber. And that he gets to play with you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right, uh, so we we always do a segment called uh, "What are you listening to?" And uh, I didn't warn you about this. I don't know if Jake did, but uh, like, it doesn't have to be something new. I don't have anything new this month, um, so uh, just uh, like, we'll we'll start. And like, if anything comes to mind, just like you know, what's uh, what's on your you know your playlist lately, uh, or if you want to start, jump in.
1: Who me? Oh, yeah, right. you you go ahead, Keith. Okay, I
2: see you pulling something up. That's yeah. why I said, yeah, yeah. Well. I'm I'm really glad that you let me know this might be a thing. Okay, Um, good. uh, My girlfriend recently turned me on to this song called Somebody Hurt You. And apparently it's the group or the woman is called A Girl Called Eddie. Okay. huh? Just a gorgeous, gorgeous ballad, um, beautiful um melody really gorgeous arrangement and it just so happens that the bass playing is r- melodic and really prevalent and that's not necessarily what i love about yeah. it i i certainly appreciate it and you know i love it when the bass can get up in there and add a lot melodically but it's a really uh sweet song and a little sad and i do love a sad song me too yep all right Uh, Somebody Hurt You uh, by A Girl Called Eddie. Yes.
0: All right. We'll link to that in the show notes. I'm excited to listen to it. I've never heard of it.
1: Um, I am listening to a band that my friend Connor suggested called Drug Dealer, which I think is a terrible name for a band. I
0: think it's kind (laughs) of good.
1: (laughs) Sorry if anybody from Drug Dealer is listening to the podcast right now. Uh, Their latest album is called High in Plain Sight, and I have been trying to put my finger on who it reminds me of all week. And even though it's not extremely complex, it's very Steely Dan-esque. Okay. Um, It's throwback 70s. It's very similar to what Neil Francis is doing right now, if you guys know who that is. He's also kind of this throwback 70s artist from Chicago. Um, and it's, it's a little Jim Croce. It's also got a little Hall & Oates to it. It's really, really great. And for some reason, I, I picture these guys touring the country in a 1976 Chevy Impala towing <laughs> an old trailer behind it.
0: <laughs> that sounds great.
1: Um, and then I'm listening to Snarky Puppies' new album, which came out a couple months ago, Empire Central. And this band just continues to write really challenging, complex music at an extremely high level. They are also from Texas. They're from Dallas. Um, it's you know, usually a 10 to a 15 piece band with everything from horn section to violin in it. How many
0: Chamberlains do they have?
1: Uh, <laughs> right. The, while they normally have two keyboards on okay. stage. I have not noticed a Chamberlain, but one of them plays a wah clavinet, which if you've never seen anybody do this before, oh, I it, don't think I have. It's so astounding. It sounds kind of like an electric guitar. Yeah. It's got a giant bar on top of the, the key. Board. Okay. It's really, really cool. Um, and, and, Again, it's like one of those bands where it just seems so inaccessible. The fact that anybody goes to see them, I don't understand it because only music nerds like me normally like stuff like this, but they play in front of thousands of people.
0: Yeah, I think I think like a recurring theme on the show is that like overall people have better taste in music than we tend to give them credit
1: for. You're you're right. It's my fault. I am not giving them enough credit.
0: Yeah, this is your fault. Yep. Um, And uh, just because everyone loves it when like one guy on the podcast does a different segment from everyone else. um, (laughs) I I don't have anything new this month, but I did make a uh, top 25 Songs of the Year playlist in Spotify, which I'll link to in the show notes, and I'm just going to list off my top five from five to one. So uh, number five, Holly Cook, Happy Hour. Number four, Built to Spill, Elements. Number three, Mitski, Love Me More. Number two, Pup, Totally Fine, and number one, Titus Andronicus and
1: Anomaly. That Pup song is so good.
0: Yeah, that that could easily like flip to number
1: one. Yeah, I, I <laughs> well, I don't know if I've heard the Titus Andronicus song, but uh, it's great. I I also want to give a plug just in case in case Keith wasn't going to. Uh you have finished your first solo album? Yes. Oh. And just put out your first single. Awesome. Which is fantastic. Well, thank it, you. I, I had no idea what to expect because, you know, you hear solo bass album and you don't know whether it's going to be Victor Wooten or or what it's going to be. And it's a lot of arco bass with a little bit of cello behind it. Am I right?
2: Yeah. Not on that quote unquote single. That's all just acoustic bass Boeing. But, uh, yeah, I played, uh, I picked up cello just a few months ago Awesome. and put that on one of the, one of the tracks.
1: Is, so the entire album is just you. You don't have any, but any other,
2: uh, pretty much me. I recorded it as just me. um, in a Cabin on the Oregon Coast, which is, it, is very Is it instrumental inspiring. or, or yeah, are you saying awesome? Yeah, okay. yeah. And it's uh, you know, an album that really changed my life um, was Brian Eno's Music for Airports. Sure. And if I could only have one album, that'd be it. Um, so I really love music that sets a mood and you can either listen to or ignore – And I find that as a working musician, I don't necessarily – when I get home, I don't necessarily want to put on something that demands my attention. Right. So I I just love – ambient music and so i i would consider it an ambient album although the record label has listed it as classical just because it's arco bass right
1: and, and when does the full album come out
2: uh january 20th on Perfect. loose
1: groove records so look for keith lowe's new album on streaming platforms um,
0: is, is loose groove um is that like stone gossard's label
2: yes it is and on that note uh another band I failed to mention that I toured a lot with and I'm in, and am a member of is the group Brad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um I'm the new guy. I was I've been in <laughs> it about ten years okay. probably. <laughs> maybe more. But uh yeah, I mean obviously sad sadly of our, course, Sean passed away. Um but we did we had a lot of tunes stockpiled. And we recently got together and and beefed them up and arranged them, and then we took some Sean demos and um, made really beautiful songs out of them. If I do say so myself, that's and that's wonderful. coming out. Yeah, it's it's really really a great record, I think, and that'll be coming out pretty soon too. That's awesome.
1: I yeah. I must have seen Brad in. 1997 yeah me too (laughs) like like quite a long time ago um i want to say say regan hagar was on drums yeah yeah that's right right. does does he still play drums for the band yes unbelievable that is awesome and stone is still in the band yes that's great yeah
2: it's me stone and regan and then uh for this record we had a lot of help from uh Hans Toiber oh, yeah. played a bunch of stuff. And yeah, he's the musical Reeves director player. on um, at Zinzani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really exciting that that's coming out. I yeah. really love it. And what's, what's your solo album called? It's called The Other Half of Silence. Okay. And yep, really, really happy with it. I recorded it about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice that it's finally seeing the light of day. And I'm really, really grateful that Loose Groove is putting it out yeah because they're really I mean, excited know. to listen yay
1: well keith low we really appreciate you being on the podcast today um thank you can, you. you can find us uh on the web at hiddenjukebox.com, facebook.com slash hidden jukebox instagram.com slash jukebox hidden on all of your favorite streaming platforms and until next time i'm jake amster
0: and i'm matthew amster burton